Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll. I never got charged with attempted murder. They just, I mean, I never got, it never, you know, it didn't stick. Make memories for that, otherwise you, you wouldn't be able to have sung on our record. 25 years ago, I think I'd be out. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory. But we drew the map. Uh, welcome to the Curious Creatures Podcast.com. Isaac Brock, Modest Mouse, they go together. Then we do. I've just jumped into like <laughs> podcast presenter mode. Sorry. <laughs> Where are you, Isaac? Uh, I'm on my porch in Portland, Oregon. In Oregon, okay. I'm trying to do a carpenter's math, and it turns out I've gotten pretty rusty at it. So I've been measuring the same thing for like an hour and a half and going back and just destroying wood. Sawing wood? Yeah, destroying it. <laughs> Isaac, it's lovely to, to meet virtually. Lovely to, to see you. Um, we've, we've heard a lot of you recently. Um, we just shot a video for... Um, Right, and you, yeah. And of course, you, you're in it. The day that I played outside of a prison, and so I went in and took some photos in that jumpsuit, and I look legit. <laughs> um, but then I was like, I don't know that I. It's a great photo, but it's too convincing, and I don't think that's a. I don't want to give people the impression that I'm serving hard time. Yeah, it's like when you see yourself in the in the the guys like. And you look like prisoner number two hundred and fifty-eight. You wonder, yeah, what would it really be like? And I, I don't want to go there either. Yeah, for a, for a couple of weeks, they accidentally had me on um, some pretty horrendous trumped-up charges, including attempted murder, um, that I got like picked up at the Canadian border for. Um, and, you know, I, and I, was, I thought I was like had nothing on me. Um, and I ended up like for, you know, maybe three weeks in county jail in Niagara, in Buffalo, New York um, and things. My friend dislocated her thumb and they gave me attempted murder for that. 
Wow. And uh, I got off. But wow. Well, you're, you're free right now, right? So, yeah. I never got charged with attempted murder. They just, I mean, I never got, it never, you know, it didn't stick. Thank <laughs> goodness uh, for that. Otherwise, you, you wouldn't be able to have sung on our record. 25 years ago, I think I'd be out. Our assistants from the management came along with these orange uh, jumpsuits, boiler suits, and zips, and everybody else had black on, and we had. The orange ones. Right, so suave. Well, it is, it was. And they had the masks to match, you know. And uh, anyway, we're, we're sitting around, like, all afternoon in these orange suits, kind of getting ready for our big moment. And um, we just kind of banged some cans, didn't we? And smashed a car up. And... That was it, basically. Yeah, that's the whole concept of the video. Destruction. Yeah, it's good fun. It was a rage room, right? It was the rage room. Yeah. yeah. Have you been to one of these? No, no, but I've, I've broken plenty of shit. It's great. Um, you you don't need a room, special room or anything to do this. You just kind of step outside. You need something that people don't mind breaking and stuff. Otherwise, you're gassing. <laughs> what's, the, what's the best thing you've broken at a moment you remember? I accidentally burnt down a house. Uh, oh, that's good. Me and my friend, were we were in the sixth grade, and we were two bests. We found this abandoned, like, just falling into the ground house. We started knocking it down with... Uh, these uh what do they call those uh, that a game you play like alice in wonderland uh croquet we found croquet mallet had been left there we're smashing out all the old drywall and then we find shit that's flammable and we're lighting it and i'm a conscientious young man and i'm like we should be careful yes we might start a fire a big fire why don't we just isolate our burning things activity on top of this corrugated greenhouse material um that won't burn. It is the most flammable shit I've ever fucking dealt with in my life. It went up so fast. The whole house, everything just plumes of smoke. We hear the fire trucks and police, and we took off. They came to the door, and they're like, <laughs> with a stick of gasoline and stuff. They're like, you guys know anything about a fire that started down there? We're like, mm, never. Fire? What's fire? No. Um, so that was, that was fun until it wasn't fun. And then I decided once to remodel my... Um, my uh, kitchen with a bowling ball. I was like, well, I gotta, if I don't just start tearing shit up, I'll never get this project done. And so let's make a mess that I have fixed. And so me and my friend James uh, from the Shins just took a bowling ball and started smashing out all the tile and we almost went through the floor. I found out the next morning. Cause oh, you were, of course you were upstairs. I was on the ground level so there was a base. You went through? Well, no, somebody else did. There was, uh, we would like have an apartment down there in the in the basement of the lower ground floor of this uh, this this building, and um, somebody was doing flooring above us, and um, they forgot, they forgot they had no floor. <laughs> they put their foot through the hole in the root in the uh, floor above and came through the ceiling below. Oh shit! And that was like a hundred years worth of dust came through, you know, like right and rat and rat crap and stuff like that. It's microscopic stuff, yeah, and it's really sticky, and it gets everywhere, uh, and it and it was just disastrous, yeah, disaster. The best thing I've done is smash up a telephone. Yeah, I remember that. I remember smashing. It was like kind of one of those old British trim phone things, you know, like a makes a really horrible noise. And I came in one night and I couldn't get the answer phone to work and it was like really frustrating. Right. And so I just smashed it up and then I put it in a plastic bag and I sent it to my drum tech. <laughs> I said, as if somehow there was meaning in that, you know, that Lola remember his name was Joss. Josh, I remember Josh. Yeah, Josh had been very good at putting it together for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where I had in mind. It kind of vindicated me smashing it. I'm not a 
a sort of physically, you know, violent person. Right. But uh, but there's a sense of, I don't know, something. Every now and then, they've like kicked a door in or something, you know, or gone down too heavy on a chair or something. There's a, a good feeling. Yeah. I had my drunk neighbor once uh, lock herself out of her house, and she had two house guests from out of town. And there were these just shitty bickering people. And they were in my house. I was like, uh, they showed up wasted. I'm not. And I'm just sitting there listening to these, these couples just this couple belittle each other while my drunk friend can't figure out how to get in her own place. And I got so fed up, I walked across the street and kicked her door off the hinges. So I was like, oh, it's a night. I haven't gotten a chance to say this because this is the first time we've actually met, although I, I sang on that song. I was so fucking excited. Like when I heard the music and things, you know, like oh. the hell with who you are, which is pretty great too. But I was just like, this is such a fucking good song. It was really fun to sing to you. Thank you. Oh, well, I mean, it's reciprocal uh, completely. You've been working with Jackknife before, right? We, before we, we got together. That's how it happened. I was working down at Jackknife's and he's like, he decided, I think after I spazzed out for a little while on a couple of the songs I was working on, he was like, maybe you'd like to sing on this one. I was like, oh. <laughs> it worked out really well. It's, it's, it, it brings back a lot of feeling. I mean, everybody's going, it sounds like a bit like Daff, you know, Deutsche Amerikanische Freundschaft. And I, I, I just remember Banshees and probably Cure as well on a Saturday night round at, round at Stephen Severin's pad with Richard Jobson from the Skids and Spiz Energy and all this, all the kind of misfits kind of doing like crazy dancing at a haggis party, you know, Burns night. It was always dance to Mussolini and that was it. We're off. It, it didn't need much. A drum beat and a mad German. And that was it. <laughs> I, th I think it was the mystery of the German language as well that kind of, you know, like, sounds weird, sounds sounds heavy, this shit. Yeah, it's very syncopated, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just... It's great stuff. Budgie was born to beatbox, by the way. <laughs> he, he does the best impersonations of drum. Yeah, that's pretty great. I've had my moments. Had my moments. I forgot you were beatboxing. I was just there. I was just like, yeah, that. My favorite line is, it's 11, not noon. That's that's a great line. That's that's genius because every man or woman who's been a touring musician has seen that on the door of their hotel. Right. Checkout is soon. It's eleven, not noon, and you all go, "Oh no!" Yeah. And you immediately get like on the blower to your tour manager and go, "Can you fix it? Come on, give us eight hours." Yeah, because you just got to bed at five a.m. Right. And you're like, "Oh my god, we're gonna leave at 11? Shit. <laughs> The other worst one is when you arrive in town, they say you can't check in until four. Oh, I know. Oh, my my, my, my uh, tour manager, she is a freaking Jedi. And <laughs> I don't think I've ever had to wait till anything past two. One time, pretty recently, at a, in kind of a near Manhattan Beach or whatever, near Los Angeles, there's like a, a very Japanese-centric hotel. Nice, nice place. Very nice. But 
like rules rules and they had this we're, we're, we just landed off like an international flight and we're really, like <laughs> hanging out kind of out front the lobby has um two chairs just two chairs and then an area that's got the velvet ropes around it with a table with four chairs to show you what a tea party looks like or what chairs look like at a table but they're not for sitting we're there we're there for hours and they're not interested in getting us our rooms any earlier than when we're allowed to. So one of my guys is like, watch this. In the middle of the lobby, he just lays down. And they're like, you can't you can't do that here. He's like, well, there's nowhere else for me to be. And so I think my my wife had decided to borrow one of the chairs from the, the decorative table so that she could have a place to sit. And we got our rooms like that. <laughs> We, we, oh, why, why did the tour manager always get the presidential suite? I know because that's where the party was, but he actually got the best room, always. I thought, no. Yeah. Because it always, that's right, I need a desk to work with and a fax machine. And we're going, fax machine? So you're in Portland, Oregon, which I love, great city. Um, I'm, in, I'm in the desert in California at the moment. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I'm right next to the Integratron. It's very mystical out here. You're by the Integratron? Yeah, I've been there twice. It's great. You've, you said the magic word, Integratron. Oh, I want to go bad, man. So here's, here's the deal now. Me and Budgie have been rehearsing because we're going to go on tour. We're going to take the record out and that. So if, if you come and sing one show... In California, I'll take you to the Integratron myself. Okay, yeah. Someone had asked if I'd sing the show in London, which I was fucking on board with. Yeah, that could be good too. Then I'll... If you go to the London show, Lowell will take you to the London dungeon. Well, it's, it's, your, it's your guys' thing. You tell me what, you, what, uh, which of those you want me to do, because I'm fucking on board. When I already asked Jackknife if he'd talk to you guys about doing more songs together. Oh, wow. I was thrilled to work on that song. So if you... We were thrilled when we heard it, and the, vid- the video looks amazing and it's gonna it's gonna change a lot of people's perception of things which is great change mine was that an orgasmatron you're going oh not orgasmatron integratron no it's just like a it's like a sound bath of sorts or there's crystals and sounds right i'm a big dude about the freak mind and shit it's the best sound i've ever had in my life it's great yeah it's a really good thing to do I mean, I'm, I, I believe in the science of that shit because uh, your brain takes all of, many of its marching orders from tones and frequencies, from you know the you know theta, beta, alpha, delta, all these all these um, these waves, these essentially sound waves, these frequencies. Your brain, like uh, that's what they found out about Alzheimer's, is that the older you get the quieter the gamma waves in your brain get quieter and quieter and it turns out that little song or whatever you want to call it that that tone that um it signals the um the little janitors in your brain that clean plaque off and do all that shit that's what gets them out and gets them working and stuff they they found that like using a gamma light waves and or gamma sound waves or each individually or both in tandem it re-wakes up the little janitors the little janitors start going back they actually can re- start backing up um alzheimer's and cleaning the you know it gets shit back in order so it's fascinating stuff but like shit. those sound baths like you know you're, you're bathing in like so many different categories of those waves all at once it can't be anything but good for you you know
Lowell and I had this thing where we said, let's just see what happens. And whatever happens, we'll, we'll usually, we, rather than say, well, let's have a think about it, we just say, okay. And we just decided to say, okay, to situations that came along. Right. Um, and, and it's magic. I mean, we started bringing in other people and, and made something that we didn't know was going to happen. When did you say you started it? We would, I've, I left LA on March 12th, uh, 13th, 2020. And we'd been at it for like since 2019, I think. We'd been with Jackknife just two, three weeks, I think, at that point. And got most of the, the, the basic tracks down. You guys freaking brilliant, though. Favorite person I've ever worked with. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. But you know everything's happening. It, it, it moves fast, man. Like, uh, his studio isn't precious. You know, it's like, it's just a fucking workspace. It's nice. It's a yeah. cool hangout yeah. out by the house. Um, and I walked in and, like, I just kind of, like, started playing something on something because um, nervous hands, you know? And he's like, oh. And he fucking sets a mic up. And that's one of the songs I tracked with him stemmed from that thing and anything. Like, we're listening to a record. He's like, he doesn't give a shit. He's like, I was like, that was a cool beat. He's like, yeah, it is. Fwomp. 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 Now we're working with that. And she, I was like, wait. Did he have some vinyl playing under the table somewhere? All the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, it was, it was like perfect flow. He's one of my favorite people I've ever fucking met and shit, you know? Well, you know, I can say, it, it, again, that word reciprocal, uh, Jack and I said just the other day, uh, I think that, you know, Isaac is probably the most genius we have on this album uh, you know so and that's what has been so nice about this whole project has been the kind of um the deference we all have that's come from people to us and 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 that we just go how amazing that they've given their time and their energy and power and and thought yeah worked out wonderfully and you know we had a slogan that we put on the, the inside of the record, you know, that we scratched on the inside of the record, that we used the whole album. And the slogan was, nothing to be done. You know, like, don't try and fix anything. We're just, we're just, nothing to be done. And then the reverse on the other side was, everything will be done. Right. You know, and we just like, put that out there. And that's like, anytime we got a problem, we just go, nothing to be done. Nothing to be done. Meanwhile, Jackknife's going like, let's just get this thing out. <laughs> let's get this thing out. That's how he works. That's how he works. does everything. And what we thought at the beginning was, was like, I've been talking to people a lot the last couple of weeks on this tour, the book, and they they ask me about the record. And I say, well, it, it's like making music when we first started making music when you're a teenager and you sit with your friends yeah. and somebody plays a bit of guitar and then somebody else plays some drums somebody else makes a noise with their mouth and you, that's how you make music that's how you started that's how we did this same thing we didn't come in and go i'm the drummer you're the guitarist uh, you do this and i do that and, uh, no, no we just went in and played that's been the that's been the mechanism for uh, modest mouse my my band yeah for fucking the entire time is like no one's married to their instruments, which makes yeah, it starts making touring a little weird because now we've got right. pump organs or whatever the fuck's around. If you can make music on it, then make music on it. And it, you know, like no one's assigned a specific fucking job unless you don't like, unless you don't like doing anything other than bass and stuff, you know, 
like then and that's on you right but yeah <laughs> how does it come come together for live uh, i mean you say you've got like it could be any instrumentation do you do you kind of get get samples going or do you try and just recreate honestly once the band got up to being eight members wow uh, i was still like we probably need more members to do this song right um i decided to just dumb shit down yeah you know like rather than having like full horn sections sometimes you don't want someone who can totally play horns because that's a thing yeah and stuff you know like yeah you, you want it to be a little wussy. but you look at the song and you see what you what else can make that sound if you don't have the thing that made it and if that doesn't work then you just reinvent it for live and the record was a record and live was going to be different that's uh good to hear good to hear because that's where we're right right at that point right now and it's it's exciting it's exciting to have two drum kits and two drummers pounding away and it just needs a little bit of something to kind of carry it carry the tune and uh, we're right there it just it's exciting and i think that's the essence of it yeah it's good to hear I was talking with Ben Schaefer, my editor, last night, and he's he's like a big Bob Dylan fan, right? He's been to see him 80 times. He said he never plays songs the way they were recorded. In fact, he doubts whether he's even heard the songs after he recorded them. Right. Okay, that's my song, and I play it this way. Uh, no, one, no one knows how to ruin a Dylan song like Dylan. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I had no idea that he wrote All Along the Watchtower because I'd only heard Hendrix's version. Right. There's two dudes I can think of that who really did that. Dylan and Prince wrote fucking everyone else's hits for fucking, you know, like two generations or more. Yeah. Um, each of them, you know, like pretty impressive. Also, I think they're kind of from the same area now that I think about it. Aren't they both from Minnesota? Wherever it's sexiest to be from in the, <laughs> in the, in the culture at that time, I guess. Uh, you remember Shel Silverstein, most famous for writing like kids books where the sidewalk ends yeah. and things like that. Uh, pe- people my age definitely uh, had Shel Silverstein because he, you know, had books of poems and boogers and shit, and they're and heavy and just kind of really heady stuff as well. But I also didn't. Uh, that guy wrote um, a boy named Sue and a couple other Johnny Cash songs. Wow, whatnot. Wow, I didn't get that. And he's got these fucked up records from the early mid seventies that um, people who bought their kids these books probably didn't know existed because they're like the songs are like Polly's in a porny and shit like that and, and stuff he's just like he was a weird dude is that like a bit like dr seuss whoever that guy was yeah he was sort of like dr seuss except for you know not okay we got the mad comics and that was my first introduction to like if you like americana it was just off off the scale it was like incomprehensible i got into looking at mad magazines because my uncle had a stack of them in his old bedroom at my grandma's house and shit. But I was, you know, I was seven or something, like going to a fundamentalist Christian church and a fundamentalist Christian school and a fundamentalist Christian town population, fucking 500 fundamentalist Christians that went to the church and the school and things. And I go visit my grandma's house, you know, a couple hours away in Helena, Montana. And in my uncle's room, there's these mad magazines and they have this shit. It was like, I had no idea what the fuck, it was referencing like on the back like the shit was pretty harsh like one was just like this hand sticking out of a pile of pills um and it says what goes up must come down <laughs> and then they, i think it was holding like syringes or something i'm like i had no idea what the fuck this could possibly mean i was like if this guy fell into a bunch of pills while taking getting at a doctor 
Yeah, and then there's one that was just a version of uh, the AT&T commercials, Let Your Fingers Do the Walking. And there was this little image of uh, some fingers walking, but they were stepping. It was an actual, like, photo. And that was pretty cool, but they'd been the little fingers that stepped in dog shit <laughs> on the fake little street. And I was like, whoa, that is edgy. <laughs> that was how I discovered America from the back of, of Mad Comics and... and um and DC Comics, you know, from Marvel Comics as well. And, and like, when I first got to New York, I was like 21 and I'd never been, you know, to America. And the first thing I did was go out and buy a box of Twinkies with Robert because that's what we'd, we'd read, like Twinkies, we wanted to know what they were. We came back and we sat there and we ate Twinkies and then we, we kind of got it. And, you know, and I asked Robert a couple of years ago, you remember that about the Twinkies? He said, I still got one in my kitchen drawer. It's still perfectly preserved because it was no. had so many preservatives in it and stuff, you know. I mean, I, I've actually technically heard that it's actually mostly a mineral that's somehow like in food form and whatnot. And that's that's its, the secret of its success. My, my sister learned about English from Mary Poppins and then became a nanny and then got fucking completely exploited and fucked over because she, she had this MGM musical idea of England and it, you know and uh, yeah y'all ain't like that um. <laughs> we had uh, we had some friend, friend of ours on here recently uh, Slim Jim Phantom from Stray Cats and he he said when he first got to London he thought Ringo was going to come and pick him up at the airport with his car and he didn't. And he didn't. No, you know. Duh. And he expected it to be just like Mary Poppins as well. I mean, he he would have picked him up, but like he had so much fan mail to go through, he probably didn't get that till the guy was like forty. I was just thinking of somebody else who, I think David Bowie wrote quite a few hits before he had any himself, right? Or he, he had a few. He had a couple of hits, but every time he wrote a song, it was like Herman's Hermits or Mott the Hoople. Yeah, they had the big hit. Yeah, they had the big hit with it, and then eventually, because he was trying all kinds. Well, I know Lou Reed wrote "Jingle," worked in a jingle factory, like wow. one of those places, like in the sixties or something, where just they had like twenty emaciated kids paid fucking nothing to write jingles all day for the commercials and stuff. Well, like Carol King was there with like Neil Sedaka and all those people. They were all kind of in little booths, weren't like offices and on Broadway. I think that I think that might maybe they all work together and shit, you know? Yeah. Kind of makes sense. So are we gonna carry on working together then? It sounds great. Let's let's can we can we carry on working together, Isaac? Yep. i that's what I've been asking. Nodding, nodding. Nods heading. Heads nodding. That's good. <laughs> we enjoyed it so much and we enjoyed listening to, you know, your take on the stuff and it's just like it turned out great, and I think it's going to be the first hit on the album. So, yeah, uh-huh. I said it here. You know. Thanks for having me on the show and stuff, too. Yeah. Well, I'll see you in the Orgasmatron. That's next door. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. There's like three trons. The Orgasmatron's next door. Oh, right. Jane Fonda's next door. Okay. Right. <laughs> see you again soon. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye now.
Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas Kay. Music production, Jack Knife Lee. Assistant editor, Ben Miller. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2023.